and welcome in. First time this semester, this is Backlash. I'm your host, Mitchell Smedley, alongside my producer and co-host, Josh Toot, and we are bringing you a full hour, uninterrupted except for a a few minor interruptions, of uh, the best in Philly sports talk. Let's get into it, Josh. First of all, how you doing on this fine Monday in February, first Monday of the month? How we feeling, Josh? Good, good. Uh, for this is actually my first time after the break that I've been in this studio doing a really? live show. Wow, I mean, I've been broadcasting a couple basketball games, but other than that, this is my first time back in here, and I always forget how cold it is. Well, welcome. Thank you for uh, thank you for helping us out Thanks today and me. every day, every Monday at four. You can catch backlash. I know that it's been confusing. We've had to change the time a couple of times we used to do thursdays at 10 a.m over the break and then it was scheduled for mondays at two but as always in college unforeseen consequences and conflicts and uh we have pushed it mondays at four will be our time going forward each and every week and right after this you can catch me and jack heim two more hours of sports talk that's more of a national discussion uh, talking all things, we'll talk MLB today. We will talk some college hoops. I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of Super Bowl discussion because it is Super Bowl week. And before we get into the Philly stuff, I did want to just briefly touch on that, Josh, because it is the Super Bowl and it is the holy grail of sports events. Uh, what are you feeling for this uh, Chiefs Niners on Sunday? Give me Chiefs. Really? Give me Chiefs. Why is uh, that? I don't know. I just ha- have a good feeling about them. They always perform differently in the playoffs. I mean, it's absolutely w- true. We watched them throughout the regular season. They struggled in that second half of the season, and just the way they've regained composure, I would say, has been phenomenal. I mean, Pat Mahomes is playing his best football that he's probably played this entire season. So, I think that uh, Kelsey steps up big time, uh, gets the winning touchdown. I'll even go uh, a score prediction. I'll go twenty-one. 21- 17. Pretty low scoring for uh, for two teams that typically score a lot of points. Uh, you remember the 49ers came back from down 17 against the Lions that, at halftime. That was tough to watch. I'm Your rooting own. for the Lions. Uh, not the Lions. I'm rooting for the Niners, man, because I just, I don't know. So here's where I'm conflicted. I, I hate both of these teams. I, you know, the Chiefs, they just keep winning. Uh, they might get bored of winning, one might say. And the 49ers obviously have some bad blood with the Eagles, but my favorite player in the league is Christian McCaffrey. I do love Andy Reid. I do love seeing Andy Reid succeed, but uh, seeing McCaffrey get a ring would be nice for me. Uh, you know, I have a long-standing feud with Brock Purdy that's been well documented on heavy hitters, and uh, you don't like Brock. Purdy? I can't stand the over exaggeration of his quote-unquote talent. Brock Purdy is the most <laughs> average, fine, whatever quarterback I've ever seen play yeah. the game of football. Yeah, I do. He's have- playing with the best cast of skill position players I've ever seen assembled on a football field. That's why he's succeeding. I could succeed. I could succeed on that team. And uh, he's getting the credit as if he's some sort of MVP candidate. He's not. So Yeah, I definitely think half of that offense is made by uh, Kittle and um, McCaffrey. Well, it's Kittle, it's McCaffrey, it's Ayuk, it's Debo. I mean, there's an insane amount of skill on that football team. So... That's uh, that's the Super Bowl. I'm rooting for the Niners. I think the Chiefs will win just because it seems to be a, uh, a little scripted, right? Seems to be uh, less than a blank space penciled did, in for who's going to win the Super you, Bowl. There. Did you say they're now having a bet of will Travis Kelsey propose to Taylor? I Smith? did see that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I, I, something about that should tell you that look, he's only going to propose if they win. So the fact that that's being pushed on on sportsbooks should tell you maybe there's some sort of little fix. That's a little conspiracy theory to get. Look at that. The first take on this show is that the NFL's rigged. How about that? Um, what do you think, Josh? What do you think the uh, is it rigged? Is it all rigged? Is it all for nothing? I just hate when people say it's rigged. I really don't think it is. I okay. I, I, f- I feel like NFL does have some influence on it. I mean, because at the end of the day, they want to make as much money as possible. For sure, it's a business. Like, but at, at the same time, like you always have those couple underdogs, and sure. you, and you have those teams that go on those runs for the for those years. You know, there's had- the Lions this year. The Packers gave a good run. Yeah, yeah, Packers. Uh, <laughs> How you uh, feeling about that? For uh, full disclosure, I guess we got to get oh, into this. This is okay. a Philly sports show, and you are a Phillies fan, right? We got that covered. Are Phillies, you a Sixers fan? Phillies, Flyers, Flyers good, and Sixers. and Sixers. But he has one crucial flaw, as many of us do. And uh, Josh, you want to tell everyone what your what your big flaw is? Diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. Boo! By the way, can I just make a point real quick? You can. After I say this, Dallas sucks. The two most grumpiest 
old men on the NFL broadcast. You can't prove me wrong. Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. <laughs> what? I enjoy them. I think Joe Buck has found a career resurgence in recent years. I think he's far see, more excited. Did you, like, you ever see like pictures of them, though, Like and how grumpy they look? No. No. Um, okay. I, I just listened to the broadcasting. I listened to the, uh, the product on the field. But coming up, we will get a, a KUR notebook before we get into our our full discussion. Josh will have that for us in just a little bit. But first, I want to preview, talk about it on this show. And feel free to get involved in the conversation, by the way. Our phone lines are open. Josh is manning those as well. 610-683-4058. That's the number to get in. That is 610-683-4058. Obviously, uh, we've had some great callers on heavy hitters. We're going to bring that aspect of the show to Backlash. So happy to have you. Uh, who will be the show's first caller? I have my uh, I have my bets in mind, by the way. But Josh, um, do you have the KUR notebooks? Do we have that uh, on hand? I have the binder right here. Yep. So okay. Oh, well, well, do you want me to get? One? Yeah, we'll get that after one second. But okay. uh, yeah, we're just on the other side of this notebook. Stay tuned because we are going to talk all things Philadelphia Phillies. We're getting into the Phillies lineup. Are they going to regress? Are they going to improve from twenty three to twenty twenty four? As we are just a couple weeks away from spring training baseball games being played by your Philadelphia Phillies. Josh, take it away with your KUR Notebook. A quick announcement from the KUR Notebook. Attention, KU community. Want KUR at your event? No problem. Go to www.kutstand.edu slash KUR. Find live events remotes. Read the reminders and fill out the form. Our promotional director or an e-board member of KUR will reach out to you as soon as possible. An important reminder about events is that KUR needs at least three weeks' notice to even consider your event. No exceptions. This message of community interest is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. Mitch, how many days until spring training? Spring training, I believe, starts, I want to say it's the 22nd, but uh, I Ten could days. be wrong. 10 days. 10 days. Well, 10 days till pitchers and catchers report. 10 days till pitchers and catchers Yeah, that's report. on the 14th, so it's actually nine days, Josh. Uh, I think, right? Is today the 5th? I never know. I I don't know. I know it's Monday. That's about all I got. <laughs> I think it's the 5th, which means yesterday was uh, maybe the greatest day on the Philadelphia sports calendar. Uh, February 4th, obviously, 2018, right? So six years ago, the Philadelphia Eagles captured their first Super Bowl ring with a 41-33 defeat over the New England Patriots, and they are. The only uh, the only team out of the Eagles and Cowboys rivalry to have a Super Bowl in our lifetime, Josh. So, just thought I'd mention that. But this is a Phillies segment here. We're getting into the Phillies. We will talk Eagles in the back half of the show. I have a lot of things to say. Some new uh, offensive minds that Josh is pretty familiar with. And we will get into all of that. <laughs> but first up, we got to talk some Phils. Uh, Josh, admittedly, I actually spent a couple nights this weekend, uh, maybe not full nights, but definitely multiple hours this weekend rewatching uh, some Phillies playoff highlights. I rewatched the highlights against the Braves like three times over. I uh, watched some 2022 playoffs. I watched some regular season highlights of some guys. And I have just been in a Phillies mindset. We are into February. Not only does spring training begin this month, the actual MLB season, I believe, begins in late March, right? Uh, March 31st. 31st, right? So the last day of March. So the MLB season begins next month, everybody. So I've been in a Phillies mindset all the last four days or so. I just can't get enough of it. And uh, I have some thoughts on if we're going to see this offense improve or regress because the Phillies have not made a single offensive addition to this baseball team in the offseason, which is very peculiar because you have an ownership and a GM in John Middleton and Dave Dombrowski, respectively, that over the last five years have shown immense, immense desire to go out and add to the baseball team and make big signings and make big splashes to move the needle on this team. It got them to a World Series, and it got them damn close to another one. And oddly enough, they've been silent this offseason. They re-signed Aaron Nola, and they got a bullpen arm in Colby Allard. Uh, you know, you... You kept a player, and you added a marginal player that's not going to make an impact. That's not cutting it for me in the offseason. So let's talk about this offense. I want to start with some of the young... We say young, but they've been here a few years, Josh. Let's start with Bryson Stott. One of my favorite players on the baseball team. One of my favorite Phillies I've watched uh, in my short lifetime here. 
last year, 2023, during the regular season, batted 280, 15 home runs, 16 RBIs, 31 stolen bases, and an OPS of 748, Josh. For a, for a young player, you're saying, all right, that, that's okay. It felt better than that, didn't it? It feels like this guy comes up in the big situations. What are your thoughts on, on Bryson Stott's performance to this point in his career the last two years? Well, I think Bryson Stott, just his whole career has been just a solid player. I mean, watching him through the minors and seeing him grow as a player, even up until up now in the majors, I mean, he's just one of those players that you got to have. I mean, he, I, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, he, he might be probably on that top five list of the best second basemen the Phillies have ever seen. I, I would... It's possible, and I think he gets... Oh, I think he got overlooked for the All-Star game at oh, second absolutely. base this year. I think that totally, he should have at least been in the conversation. He was not. And I think that's a terrible mistake because his defensive metrics... I'm, I'm talking about offense today. I can pull up some defensive metrics on next week's show for these guys. His defense has been stellar. How many times are we like, what a great play by Stott? Uh, and, and it's kind of hard coming off of Gene Segura playing the the position before him, right? Gene was also an amazing uh, defender. So we don't have kind of that that sharp like, oh, wow, this is what it's supposed to look like, as opposed to quicker transitions from like Odubel Herrera to Brandon Marsh in 2022. We were like, that's what a real center fielder looks like. Or Didi Gregorius to now Trey Turner at shortstop. And I know that the first part of the Turner saga was rough, but now we see like that double play in the Brave series in game one down in Atlanta. That's what a real shortstop a defensive asset can do for this baseball team. But focusing on Stott's offense, he had 15 home runs this year, 10 in 2022, so he upped it by five. Now, in 22, he was down in the minors for a little while. He was bouncing around because he came up for the first month or so, wasn't performing well, needed a little more time to develop. And then if you remember in June, he had that that power surge that all got kicked off with that walk-off home run against the Angels. You remember that game, Josh? I do I remember, remember exactly where very I was. Well. Yes. Oh, man. Had the Harper Grand Slam in the eighth. And then Stott wins it in, I think, the ninth. I don't think yeah, that game it, went it, extras. It, it, it was in regulation, yep. Yep, and uh, that really, he had like four home runs in about, I think, seven games or eight games or something like that. It was really impressive. And when you look at Bryson Stott, I, I so much don't look at just the overall numbers. I look at the clutch numbers, right? The clutch, the memories of when he did something like that three-run walk-off home run. I remember he had a... A three-run home run off of, I believe it was A.J. Minter of the Braves in the eighth inning of a game in July of 22. Uh, I was actually present in the stadium for Stott's grand slam against the Marlins in the playoffs. Uh, Stott always seems to have these uh, these incredible moments. It's not always home runs either. I mean, he had a, uh, a RBI double, I believe, that scored Bryce Harper to tie the game in the ninth against the Orioles. Uh, he has all sorts of these, these dynamic moments this guy, he has that Harper thing in him where he just locks in when the pressure is the greatest. And that's why, uh, you know, he was one of the only two Phillies to score an RBI in Game 7 when all the bats had gone cold against the Diamondbacks. So, Bryson Stott, I, I like that he added those five home runs. I, I don't know if it's much of an addition considering, like I said, that most of the, the start of his first year uh, didn't so much have him playing and, and wasn't comfortable. So I think the power is what it is with Stott. 15 home runs is fine because you have other guys on this team uh, that do and and should hit more than those. The 280 is important. He's getting on base, and that doesn't even include his walks. I mean, Stott is famous for, for making a good at bat, right? We think of Game 3, 22 against, the, against Spencer Strider. Stott on the ninth pitch had that uh, RBI double. You remember that one? I do remember. I was actually in this studio during that at bat. And I mean, with him too. I mean, he's so quick on the base pass. You just need to get him on. I mean, he. he yeah. Well, one of the things I talked about. Thirty-one stolen bases this year. One, one of the things I talked about with this team is just how how disciplined they are on the base pass, and you know that that comes through uh, Paco Figueroa. You know, he's he's doing a great job with the base running, um, and I think. He he is one of those coaches that actually realizes how important it is, whereas a lot of other teams, I think they overlook that, and they shouldn't sure. be. Like, Stott has that sneaky speed, right? Like, he had one more stolen base than Trey Turner this year. Trey Turner, spoilers, had 30 stolen bases. And I think that's really impressive. Stott is becoming, right, if he can add a little more power, I don't think you could say this about him yet, but if he adds a little more power, he's becoming that five-tool player. He's oh, becoming yeah. the contact. He's becoming he if he adds some power, right? Uh, he's got the defensive ability. He he has the speed, right? He has all of these assets that you look at and go, that's who I want on my baseball team. So I, I think 
if Stott somehow could be a 20 home run guy, an 18 home run guy, I understand that three home runs might not feel like a, a difference, but it's the power that comes along with that, right? Converting more of these singles to doubles, right? Um, launching further fly balls to get sack flies. The RBI numbers, I think, would escalate because he only had 62 RBIs. That's, you know, about half of what some of the other guys on this team had. So I think Stott is a great young player, and I think he will continue to improve. He's one of these guys I'm projecting an even better 2024 season for uh, because I, I think he's only played two years, and he's only gotten better each year he's been uh, in the in the game, and each really each like season he's been in the game. I feel like spring of his of his rookie year to summer of his rookie year there was a clear difference, and then into the fall there was even better uh, showing of, of becoming more of a patient hitter and stuff like that. And then in the fall, right, he started out good. I think summer and fall, uh, I mean summer and spring of uh, of twenty twenty three were peak Bryson Stott. I think he was putting together tremendous at-bats, getting on base at a great clip. He had a 298 batting average uh, in mid-August. So it came down to 280. So his fall uh, um, of 2023 did fall off a little bit, but, you know, not too much. He was still putting together a great season. But that's all we have for this first segment. We are right up against our break. Uh, coming up next, we will talk about yet another younger player. Uh, he's frustrated some people for a few years here, and we'll see if he is poised for a better 2024. Keep it here. This is Backlash on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. We're back here on Backlash. Mitchell Smedley, Josh Toot, taking you through your 4 o'clock hour. Uh, talking some sports, you know? Something a little fun at the end of your workday if you're already on your way home. Um, hope, you got, hope you got that whole agenda taken care of today. And if you didn't, well... It's always good to talk Phils, right? So we are. We just talked about Bryson Stott. I'm projecting a, uh, a, a improvement. I think in both batting average and his power, I I, I sense a, a, a stride forward in Bryson Stott's power up toward that 18 to 20 home run mark, and I think that could make a huge difference, right? That could put so, a little more thump in the middle of this lineup that after the top four sort of falls off in the power department because our next guy, Alec Bohm, has. Uh, well, he's frustrated people in this town with his power for a few years now. I feel like it's a talking point every single offseason. But Alec Bohm in 2023, let's get a snapshot here. Batted 274. He did hit that 20 home run mark just barely. Had exactly 20 home runs, uh, 97 RBIs, four stolen bases. It's pretty low. And an OPS of 764. Nothing to write home about. Um, Josh... You know, we only have a few years left of Alec Bohm. I believe he's up for arbit- uh, not arbitration. I believe he's up for free agency uh, around 2027. So we got about three years remaining with Alec Bohm. And I don't know if you noticed, but the Phillies drafted a guy that's going to move to third base in Aiden Miller with their first round draft pick last year. And he could come up in about three years. So Bohm's got about three years to make his mark and uh, make his claim hey, trade the young guy and keep me because I'm a special player. He's only got three years to do that, Josh. What are we feeling with the Alec Bohm power issue? He's at third base. He needs to hit more than 20 home runs. I mean, look, I mean, you bring up a good point saying about Aiden Miller. Um, not going to get into my opinion on uh, Aiden Miller, uh, but, you know, Alec Bohm is a special player. I mean, yeah, he doesn't steal the bases that often. You know, he's kind of a, sl- I, I dare I say, not the fastest guy on the team by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, he's a solid player. I mean, he's doing a great job at the third base position. You know, as soon as he got the call up to the Phillies, you know, he had that, he had those couple of moments that made Phillies fans question him. Um, but I, I think, you know, he's, he's done a great job solidifying his name in the Philly system as a, one of those top players at the third base position. You know, I, I like him a lot. I think he's, I think he's a great defensive player. I mean, he knows he knows how to play third base really well. He hits the ball well. You know, he's one of those contact guys. But but the problem is with him, I feel like he falls in those slumps for for weeks and weeks where you he know, beats he, the ball into the ground. He I, needs to get the lift. I I mean, he's just he just he, you hit it right on the nail. I I mean, he he just str- there's some weeks he struggles, and then there's some weeks that he's great. So I think if the Phillies keep him. You know, they're going to have to really work out that problem of, you know, getting him out of those long stretches where he can't get a couple hits, you mm-hmm. know, so. Yeah, he's been working with Kevin Long for a few years now, and the power just, it's ticked upward a little bit, uh, but at current rates, I mean, he would get 22, 23 home runs this year. 
that's still not what I need out of my third baseman. I need 30. I, you need, in this day and age, to be up around that 30 home runs with your, your corner infielders. Uh, Harper is going to give that to you. He's at first base now. I'm not seeing it from Bohm. Quite honestly, I think in the next two years, if Bohm really doesn't take these huge strides forward, and I'm not predicting him to take huge strides forward, he could be the one traded rather than Aiden Miller. Uh, as Aiden Miller comes up and, and improves up through double and triple A, he's in you know high A right now, uh, I think you could see Alec Bohm moved to make room for Aiden Miller. Uh, so that's my predict. I'm predicting uh, the numbers to stay roughly what they are. 274, I think his average could tick up a little bit. Uh, but unless he generates the lift, I'm not seeing those home runs tick up too much. And the uh, the stolen bases, I think, are staying around where they are. So I'm predicting Alec Bohm. I think he'll he'll settle into about the seventh spot in the lineup. I really don't see him moving up. And he was batting clean up in the playoffs. Did you have you looked back at Alec Bohm's playoffs? I mean, I looked at all his at bats. He really got into some struggles, and it was obvious he was grounding into double plays left and right. He was striking out at inopportune times. He had the one home run in the final game of the postseason. I mean, it just didn't look comfortable. No, did not. And that's a guy that was in the playoffs in the World Series. Hit a World Series home run in 2022. Uh, but he should have been comfortable, and he just wasn't. I'm not expecting a huge uh, increase from Alec Bohm. Like I said, young players still could make those strides forward. Uh, I don't see it in the cards. I give it about a, uh, you know, I think there's maybe a 20% chance Bohm uh, really really uh, knocks the cover off the baseball this year and, and shocks some people. Uh, let's jump to the outfield. I kind of got an umbrella an, an umbrella sort of topic here. Can, I want to talk center field. Can I just add a quick point before we oh, start sure. before we start talking about Absolutely. about the uh outfield depth. Um y- you know I don't know if a lot of people know this about me, but uh, I follow minor league system for a lot of teams, I would say pretty well. Would you agree with that, Mitch? Uh better than I do. I uh, you know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Aiden Miller. I really got my my brain going here because well, I think he's the gem of the offensive piece of our our farm system. Oh, absolutely not. I have a better one. I'm not in on Justin Crawford. Crawford hit 332. Stop. I don't care. 332. He doesn't have power. Okay. I need power. Because otherwise, so you're you going to turn into a guy that I'm about to talk about named Johan Rojas, and you're going to irritate me every single night that you play baseball. Okay. I need you to at least threaten to go deep. Because otherwise, what they're going to do is they're going to pitch around guys that can actually hit like this guy I had pulled up on my stat sheet right now, Brandon Marsh. When the bases are are, are juiced, they're going to pitch to you and you're going to strike out because you're not even a threat to put four on the board. Do you remember that happened in Game 7? Do you remember when Johan Rojas came up with the bases loaded in the fourth inning and he struck out on three measly pitches, two of which were in the dirt? Do we remember this? Johan Rojas is a terrible baseball player. I'm not yelling at you, Josh. I just can't stand Johan Rojas and the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies are not only planning on having him play every single day, but excited about it boggles my mind. It absolutely infuriates me. No. No. Let me read you something, Josh. All right. Brandon Marsh. 277 batting average, 12 home runs, 60 RBIs, 10 stolen bases, 829 OPS. So he's hitting doubles. He hit triples. He hit those 12 home runs. In limited playing time, by the way, because he wasn't playing every day. Doesn't that sound better than Johan Rojas' two home runs, one of which got into the first row, and the other came off of a position player named Jordan Luplo? Doesn't that sound better? Listen, I... It totally does. You can admit it. Johan Rojas can't swing it. See, I would prefer a guy to get on base, though... Brandon Marsh does that. Yeah, I get that. But, like, I would prefer a guy who hits, like, 300. I mean, Rojas through the middle of the season. I am not dealing with this. Rojas' 300 batting average in the regular season is the most insulting thing to statistics since the Cretaceous period. He is not a 300 hitter. That is the most embarrassing stat I've ever seen on this planet. Does he look like a 300 hitter? Oh, absolutely. He's been working hard this offseason. Didn't you see the picture of him? Oh, yeah, Brandon. Uh, not Brandon Marsh. Johan Rojas put on some muscle. Oh, dude, if he has a power surge, I will shut my mouth on Johan Rojas. It's I, not happening. I he hope, looks lost at the I plane. hope he hits at least 15 home runs this year. <laughs> 
If he if he if he hits 15 home runs, I will I will go out and buy a Johan Rojas jersey. I'll make that deal with you right now. All right, I'm gonna shake on that. Yeah. So just for all of our listeners, <laughs> you heard it right 15 here. 15 home runs or more. I'm buying a Rojas jersey. <laughs> I don't like this. Well, actually, I do because I know. And what's the punishment if you lose? If I lose, I'll say Johan Rojas is the worst Philly to ever play, <laughs> which would be wrong because so I you could... don't have to spend 130 bucks, but I do. <laughs> Come on in. Come on in. We have someone who wants to flutter an opinion. <laughs> do you like Johan Rojas? Yes or no? Correct me if I. I just want to comment on one thing. I am sitting outside in the studio lobby. And I hear, is is there a line on Johan Ross hitting 15 home runs? <laughs> is that what I heard? Yeah, we just made a bet. 15? If he hits 15, I have to buy a Johan Rojas jersey. 15? I don't know if he'll hit 15 home runs in his career. I know! <laughs> That's my piece. You I'm better hope for a lot of blowouts where he comes up against position players. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All right. Hey, there's no punishment for you, Josh. This is all a good fun for you. Let's keep it moving. Uh, the Phillies, we'll okay. talk more about this next week. Yeah, um, can I just add one more point? I am so sorry. Well, yeah, I was just going to say that the they yeah. need to add an outfielder. Yeah. I'm praying for Adam Duvall. Put him in left. Move Marsh to center. Marsh is still a decent defensive center fielder. He's still fine. And uh, you know, you know what? I'd even rather have. Remember last spring training, there was talk of uh, Johan, not Johan Rojas, of uh, Edmundo Sosa getting practice at center field. I would rather that than Johan Rojas in my batting order each day. Edmundo's at least you know a decent bat. Um. Yeah, that's that's my thoughts on the on the center field, Rojas, and uh, I think Johan Rojas is going to be a black hole at the bottom of this lineup all season long. I think it's going to drag the Phillies down. I think it could uh, it could lose them a, a spot in the playoffs. There's some teams that are getting better in this National League. You're going to have to continue to get better with them. Phillies are not doing that with Johan Rojas in the order. Fair, Any thoughts? Fair point. I I mean I. I, I don't know. I just like something about him. I like it, it, they just need to get him on base. I mean, he's so quick that you know he can he can steal easily to second and third. There's no doubt about it. But I I think one of the things we really need to talk about is it, you know the corner outfielders in uh, Schwarber and Castellanos. Well, Cast- Schwarber's your DH now. Castellanos, we'll get to him. But Ca- Castellanos, I mean, I'm projecting a, a good season out of Castellanos. I think uh, everyone's been saying though. Since he's been here, I'm going to project a good season. He hasn't had one. He had a great season this year. He Let me pull up my Castellanos line. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm so happy no. you mentioned Nick Castellanos. Batted 272, 29 home runs. That's second on the team, by the way. Yeah, but he hits in those slumps, though. 106 RBIs. 106 RBIs. I believe that's the team lead. 11 stolen bases. OPS is 778, which is okay. But he gets in those slumps, though. I agree. I agree. But is it an improvement from last year when he oh, had 13 yeah. home runs? If Nick Castellanos adds anything, if he continues upward at all, you're looking at a an all-star player. You're looking at a very, very good player, right? The, the Braves have these. They have the the huge guys, right? The Acunas and the Olsons, right? But then they got guys under that like Austin Riley, right? That uh, There's a whole tier of those players on the Braves that, that do good. Really good, but not, I mean, you know, all like all pro levels. I, I just used a football term in baseball. I don't care. Um, I think Castellanos is, is getting into that tier for the Phillies, and I think that's really valuable. Castellanos doesn't get enough love for what he did in 2023. He's the fir- also the first player in MLB postseason history to have back-to-back games with multiple home runs. But he went on, as, uh, as Brian Anderson put it, a home run binge. He hit five in three games. I mean, I, I will say... That was probably one of the best runs I've ever oh, seen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, he, he had a great postseason. It's just. I, 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 but he I, finally seems comfortable. Remember last postseason? Oh, yeah. he, he didn't. He couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And now I just yelled into the mic. I apologize. See, but see, now he looks absolutely comfortable. I think I think it's only up from here for Nick Castellanos. This is why you paid him $100 million. See, I and I'll be honest. You know, every Phillies fan, when they talk about Castellanos, they'll always look to those, you know, deep slumps and they always forget about, you know, those great moments he had, uh, or that might just be a, a, a personal thing. You know, he's as if he can get out of those slumps, he'll be okay. And he yep. did have a great postseason, you know. Yeah. There was there was about a month where he looked like he was back to 2022, flailing at pitches in the dirt, uh, not keeping the counts mu- in his favor. The month of July was Yeah, July and, and into early August. But once the Turner ovation hit, 
that that energized this whole team. Which, oh, yeah. Speaking of Trey Turner, next on my list, I want to get into some rapid fire of these uh, upper echelon guys uh, on the team. Trey Turner, 2023 batted 266, 26 home runs, 76 RBIs, 30 stolen bases, 778 OPS. I think that's the same as Nick Castellanos, actually. But 266, that's going to improve dramatically. I think you could see it improve by 40 to 50 points. He's going to be over a 300 hitter this year, in my opinion. 26 home runs. Um, I think 16 of those came in the months of August and September. After the ovation. That's really scary, right? That's that's two that. months where you hit eight home runs a month, right? If you average that out over the course of an entire season, that's 48 home runs. I mean, he, like I said, that ovation did him a lot of good. One of the best runs we've ever seen out of a Phillies player. Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I wish it didn't come to that, but you know what? It, as long as it happened, I'm all right with it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and wish, by the way, it happened with the it, slumping Trey Turner and with all these things I'm mentioning, these offensive numbers, the Phillies, this is why I'm doing this exercise. Phillies won 90 games this year. Phillies won 90 games and were they should have been in the World Series. So that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Can they add that extra juice to get over the hump is, is yeah. what this whole exercise is about is predicting increased or decreased offensive performance. I think Trey Turner is going to be one of the biggest sources for increased offensive production in this Phillies lineup this season. He's one of the keys that could get the Phillies into their third long postseason run in a row. So that's a rapid fire. I think that one's pretty obvious. I think he's going to improve dramatically this season. Absolutely. Another obvious one I'll throw you. Bryce Harper. Batted 293, by Mr. the way. Mr. Philly. In a down year. Batted 293. 21 home runs in a down year. 72 RBIs. 11 stolen bases. And a 900 even OPS. This guy's inhumane. And that keep in mind, I say this is in half of a season. Because if you'll remember the first little while, month and a half, he was out injured. And uh, the next month and a half, he had that, in, that insane power uh, outage where he just didn't hit home runs at all. So uh, he had three home runs. I believe, in the month of July, like going into the month of July. So he, second half of the season, he had 18 home runs and uh, averaged that out over the course of his season. He's up to 36, right? So I think Bryce Harper is going to get back to being the uninjured, amazing Bryce Harper we've come to know and love. He's now playing first base, and I think you saw a dramatic increase in production when he started playing the field again rather than DHing. I love that. I love that move when they moved to the first base. I loved it. Loved yeah, it. Best it's a good move, move. Best move they ever made. Well, We'll talk. That's actually a great discussion we can get into uh, next week when we talk about some more of these specific moves the Phillies can make. That'll, that's a little preview. Let's talk about Kyle Schwarber. Well, now. he is up next, actually. Kyle Schwarber. Batted 197. Ouch. Just, that's the polar opposite of the Johan Rojas stat. Johan Rojas batted 300, and I hated him. Kyle Schwarber batted 197, probably the best player on the team all year. 47 home runs, 104 RBIs. Zero stolen bases, shocking, and an 817 OPS. However, one extra stat I had to throw in, right? In addition to that 197 batting average, 343 on base percentage. That's the beauty of Kyle Schwarber is he gets on base. That's why he's going to remain your leadoff hitter. I think Kyle Schwarber uh, pretty much stays as is. I think he continues slugging at an incredible amount. He actually increased his home run total from 2022. He nudged it up one more. And uh, I think Kyle Schwarber is maybe one of the best sluggers we've ever seen in a Phillies uniform. I love him. I wish he was here for his entire career rather than just these four years. Any thoughts on Kyle Schwarber? I, I like Schwarber's power. I just wish he would hit the ball more. I, I mean, I love his power, and I guess that's the trade-off you have to have. Yep. You have more that's what he focuses power on. Power or contact. And, I mean, I'll, I'll take the power. I mean, it gets the fans energized. I mean, it gets the team energized, more sure. importantly. And when you go up one nothing when he's batting leadoff and leads off of the home run, that that does a that's lot. That's psychological warfare against teams. But Oh, yeah. We got one more guy in this lineup, and it might be the thing that holds the Phillies back the most this upcoming season. I'll tell you what that is, and we'll break it down here on Backlash after one more break. You're listening to the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. And welcome back in one final time. This is Backlash. Got about just under 20 minutes left of your Philadelphia sports conversation for the day. But never fear. Two whole hours of national sports talk coming up just after this. Myself and Jack Heim, you heard him earlier, thinking Josh is crazy for Johan Rojas being projected 15 home runs by yours truly over there. Uh, me and Jack will be bringing you up until 7 o'clock uh, on the same station. So wherever you're listening, don't touch that dial, as they say. But I want to get into one more player today. 
And then we'll evaluate what can the Phillies change, uh, what sort of moves are on the table next week. But as it stands right now, and this believe me, this one is not going to change, um, <laughs> this guy will be here. Yes, JT Real Muto, the Phillies catcher, Phillies backstop as they call him. Here's the stats of 2023. Batted only 252, 20 home runs, 63 RBIs, 16 stolen bases, a 762 OPS. And I'm here to tell you, not only was that a huge drop-off for 2022 and the rest of his career, it's only here to stay. It's only going to get worse. JT Romuto is a catcher. He is in his 30s, and catchers don't come back when they're in their 30s. I mean, he is getting up there in age. The only other position he has experience playing or could play is first base, and as we just mentioned, that position is locked up. JT Romuto is in deep trouble, in my opinion, and the Phillies ought after this year. I think you have to play him this year because... Obviously, it's his contract and everything, and and uh, I think it wouldn't make sense to just bet on him to fail, but I, I think it's likely that he's going to continue a downtrend. After this year, the Phillies need to start evaluating uh, options to replace JT Romuto at catcher. Is that Marshan down in the farm system? It's not Garrett Stubbs. They need to find a major league catcher somewhere uh, because JT has been a an unlikely source of power that a lot of other teams do not have. It's a weapon that a lot of teams don't have as the catcher that's been hitting 25 home runs a year. He only hit 20 this year, went into some droughts. He did end the drought of uh, the Phillies not having a cycle since 2004. That was awesome. That was a great night in the desert. Phillies almost won that game on a uh, Cody Clemens near home run. It went just foul. Remember that game, Josh? I do. I, was I stayed up it. for that. I was watching the TV, and I my heart broke. I was on the bit. phone, and I started screaming because originally they ruled it a home run. I was I jumping did. up and down, you know. But uh, it was not to be. JT Romuto, though, only 20 home runs. And I think uh, once he dips into the teens, people are really going to observe, wow, the uh, the prime years of JT are firmly in the rear view. He still has that little bit of a clutch gene in him. He's still got good speed. He, he definitely seems like he lost a little bit of a step. And, uh, you know, his arm didn't seem as dynamic as in years past. Still one of the top five catchers in the game, but not clearly the top catcher in baseball anymore. You know, it's a, it's a part where the Phillies are starting to slip, and when one weapon on your team is, is is slipping and not becoming such an advantage, other things have to become an advantage. We've already gone through a couple of them. Bryson Stott, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, those guys are going to improve upon what the Phillies' offensive output was this year. I think JT Romuto is one of the factors working against them this year. Josh, any thoughts on JT's offensive production? I mean... You definitely make a good point saying he's dropping off, but I I think you know the the only reason he'll stay in that position is just because he's such a defensive threat. I mean, the amount of guys that he cut down stealing, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, he he's one of those guys that you almost have to put him in the lineup just because he's such a defensive threat. And the problem is you don't have a catcher to replace him. I mean, definitely not Stubbs. Definitely not Marshawn. I I think Marshawn. There's no way if they. Put, I think Marshawn's better than Stubbs. I I think so too. But he's definitely. I think after this year, Marshawn will be the backup catcher on the Philadelphia Phillies. I think so. But you too. need to start evaluating options to to make a trade at some point down the line. Do you do you use Marshawn as a trade chip? Like what goes on here? Uh, because they traded away the guy that would take that place in Logan Ohapi, and uh, really didn't get. He, I mean, you got Brandon Marsh, who's fine, but. Um, Really, it's an interesting position that I don't think enough people have on their radar that's going to become a problem. But next week uh, in our Phillies talk, we'll talk about some moves uh, that they could make or that they didn't make and uh, you know what could have been, what should have been in our minds this offseason. And then as we get closer to opening day, we will go through and talk about our ideal opening lineups with uh, JT and some of these other guys starting to show a little wear and tear. You have to wonder... Does the lineup shake up? Is JT still just a consistent top five plug-and-play in your lineup? I don't necessarily think so, but we'll get into that in the coming weeks. So don't go anywhere. We are probably the two biggest Phillies fans here at the station, and we got you covered all the way up until opening day and uh, hopefully throughout the summer as the season goes on. Should be an exciting one. But I want to transition for these final 15 minutes of the show into – Probably the most frustrating thing to ever be constructed, and that is the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> and on the heels of their historic collapse, losing seven, six of their last seven, including getting uh, you know slapped in the in the wild card round of the playoffs by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You couldn't even beat the Giants. 
Couldn't beat. Well, we did beat the Giants by two, and then two weeks later lost to them by way more than two. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, after such an embarrassing display of football uh, since the last time we talked, have made a couple moves, and one of them was good. And one Eagles of them- hired defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. Great move. Great move. He's going to revitalize this defense if he gets some safety help. That's the big thing. We have to go out, get some safeties. Uh, I'd prefer free agents and uh, use the draft picks elsewhere. That's a whole nother conversation we'll have getting close to the NFL draft and NFL uh, offseason moves. But in addition, the Eagles also made a move, and that's the one that I want to focus on today, that was not so great. The Philadelphia Eagles have brought in Chargers offensive coordinator and formerly Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore to be the next offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I could not be more frustrated with the move. Kellen Moore does not have a successful resume. He had two decent seasons and two not-so-decent seasons with the Cowboys offense, and his time in Los Angeles can be summed up in one word, uh, not great. That's two words. Yeah, my uh, my counting skills are as good as Kellen Moore's play calling skills. Um, look, he was he was working with quarterbacks said to be tremendous in Dak Prescott, and uh, everyone and their mother seems to be high on Justin Herbert. I'm not, but uh, he was working with Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert didn't look good this year, and uh, Josh, you had an up close look at him for four years working over Dak Prescott. Um, what did you see? What what was the problem? What went well for those couple years, and what went not well for those other couple years. Well, first of all, I just want to start off with a point. Um, when Kel Moore was uh, going to, when they introduced Kel Moore, saying he was going to be the new offensive coordinator, I loved when Nick Sirianni thought he would bring a new offense to their team. He would do all these great things. And I'm just listening, watching back, and I'm just laughing because yeah. I know exactly what he did to the Cowboys. And it wasn't anything. I mean, he, he was basically the number two reason why our offense was so terrible. And For the sure. Num- and the number one reason, who do you think? Uh, the number one reason has to be... Dak Prescott. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, well if Dak ask- Prescott gets you through the regular season. Well, you just he can't ha- win well, in the playoffs. If, well, if you ask Troy Aikman, he'll probably say he's the best quarterback he's ever seen. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, Kel Moore, I, I don't know what goes through his head. I mean, he, he looks like a deer in headlights calling plays. I mean, it, it, he's honestly... When they when the Eagles said they were going to bring in Kelmar, I said that's the best they could find. Exactly. I mean, I, mean, I could. Frank Reich was available. That's who I would have gone with. I probably would have went with Frank Reich as well. But you, you know, it, it's a terrible move. I don't know what Sirianni and the Eagles front office was thinking. Um, well, the, what they're. I mean, what do they think he's going to do? His resume is awful. No, it's really bad. And what what it does is it doesn't complement Jalen Hurts' skill set. Jalen Hurts did tremendously well under the uh, who the who who went to uh, Indianapolis? Shane Steichen under Shane Steichen's offense with a lot of RPOs, run pass options. A lot of those Jalen Hurts was tremendously well uh, worked tremendously well because his running was a threat. It was an unforeseen threat in this. Offense that Nick Sirianni ran this year because it wasn't Brian Johnson. Nick Sirianni headed the offensive mind. Uh, Brian Johnson was more of a puppet. And this is why I said you have to chop off the head of the snake. Nick Sirianni is the problem with the Eagles. No matter who they put in, it's not going to succeed. Um, so you, so just a, a follow-up question to that statement. You think last year when they got to the Super Bowl, do you think he, he has slowly regressed as the head coach? I think what happened was he didn't have control of the play calling because everyone saw how bad it was in 2021. So they brought in Shane Steichen, a competent play caller. He called the plays that got the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Nick Sirianni didn't change his offense. He said as much in a, in a press conference after the end of the season. He said, no, we're not, we're not changing our offensive philosophy. Why? It didn't work. Your offense was terrible for all of the year. It was not good. And uh, so now they've brought in another puppet. They brought in someone purposefully who didn't have as good of a resume as as other candidates so that now the front office can look at him and say, well, here's your resume and here's our resume. We have a Super Bowl and another Super Bowl appearance in the last six years. So you're going to listen to what we want. And he's going to be the new puppet. And uh, I'll, I'll say more about it on the other side of this KUR notebook, Josh. Take it away. 
From the KUR Notebook, want to join a fun campus club? Join KUR Fun Events, great friends, and an opportunity to play your favorite tunes away. Email KUR at kutztown.edu. That's KUR at kutztown.edu. For more information, this message of community interest is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. Perfect. Couldn't have done it better myself. Thank you. Um, Look, Kellen Moore's going to run a lot of motions, pre-snap movements, all sorts of stuff like that. It's a lot of deception before the ball is snapped. I like deception after the ball is snapped because the defense has less time to recognize it, and that's what Shane Steichen did oh so well. Uh, I'm not pleased with the hire, but really, it didn't matter who the Eagles hired because Nick Sirianni is the problem. Nick Sirianni is bad at everything he tries to do, and and really, he doesn't add anything to this team. He's lost the locker room. He's lost the ability to call plays. He, he's not a defensive mind, and he, and he doesn't make the uh, you know the personnel decisions. Because he's not experienced. Because you have Howie Roseman and, and Jeffrey Lurie that are actually experienced in that department. Nick Sirianni is a face. He's a puppet. And so is the offensive coordinator role in Philadelphia. I think Vic Fangio coming in with such a... So he's got 15 years experience. I think having that and a good resume and being older, I think, gives him some more prestige around the organization. I think the defense will dramatically, dramatically improve in 2024 for the Philadelphia Eagles. Josh, what do you think? I mean, I definitely think that Vic is going to do a lot of good for the defense. It's just... And I, I think the defense, both sides of the ball, man, were struggling. I mean, Brian Johnson's offense was awful. Oh, for sure, yeah. For, was awful. It I mean, also goes back to they didn't have the the best personnel. And, I mean, adding on to your point when you said about how Sirianni lost the locker room, you could tell right around week 11, I mean, just something happened. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that he ever had it. That's my thing with everybody. I don't think Nick Sirianni ever was like, oh, we love Nick. Like, guys loved Doug. Like, Nick Foles loved Doug Peterson. When they won the Super Bowl. It was a great co- He was a, awesome. He was a great coach. And the only reason Doug Peterson isn't in Philadelphia anymore is because he won the Super Bowl and then in meetings with Howie Roseman and with Jeffrey Laurie said, hey, I've got this experience. I've won. I know what it takes. I know what I'm doing. I would like some more control over my personnel because I know these guys and I know what I need. And they said, no, we're doing it our way. Because Howie Roseman had one of the best offseason just... Landed every punch, landed every move he made in the 2017 offseason. Everything. And and had the complete opposite in 2023. He didn't add a single impact player. The best you could say, he traded for uh, DeAndre Swift. Fine. Not great. Rashad Penny did nothing. Zach Cunningham, marginal. Nicholas uh, Moreau, marginal. All of these players that Harry Roseman added through free agency did just about nothing. And he prioritized veterans over youth, and that showed in the slowness and the patheticness of the Philadelphia Eagles this year. And uh, we will talk more about potential offseason moves that can be made this year on an upcoming show as well. So that's how I feel about Kellen Moore. Any final thoughts on, on Moore and the Eagles before I wrap up with a you know a little sour announcement elsewhere in Philly sports no I and I mean I definitely think that you know the Eagles just have to figure it out I mean or they're gonna have another one of those mediocre seasons and I definitely think that you know looking looking at this season I mean do you really think that through week one through ten do you think do you actually think they were really that good no no I, I never I thought mean, I never thought they were world beaters uh, I tried to hold out hope that uh you know, they were winning games and that said something, and they would round it form. I didn't think they were playing their best football. That was the problem. I was wrong. They were playing their best football. That's as good as it got, and it only went downhill from there. Yeah, and I mean, I, I definitely do think that, you know, you just need to – They, I mean, watching them, they just look like – they looked like a different team, and yep. I I don't know what Roseman was thinking. I mean, it, I, and I'm not going to lie when I say – I know that Dallas is experiencing the same problem that Philadelphia is experiencing. You know, Jerry Jones thinks Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott are the answer for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not. It's it, just not. No, you can it's tell. Not. And yeah. I, so here's a question I pose to you: If you had to pinpoint the problem with players, Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts. That'll will, be our topic. Jalen Hurts next is week going on the down Eagles. the drain. Have a Jalen Hurts discussion, but I did want to wrap up with um, 
I want to transition to the NBA. I don't talk much basketball on this show, but uh, obviously the superstar of the 76ers, Joel Embiid, is going to be getting surgery on a torn flap in his meniscus. And uh, I believe the phraseology they used was he is out indefinitely. And uh, the Sixers team just can never catch a break, can never catch a break, can never get it right. Um, you know, and I, I think it has to be one of the largest embarrassments in sports is the process, right? All those days, the empty arenas, losing all those games, having no hope and just telling your fan base not to have hope for five years, six years, and then never to make it out of the second round after all of those draft picks. After all those draft picks and all those players you, you supposedly drafted that were studs, and then even getting James Harden and all sorts of stuff like that, and it uh, it never came to fruition. It's It's got to be one of the big embarrassments in pro sports history, and it's right here in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. I mean, it's a terrible time to be a Philly sports fan. I mean, yeah. I, f- I feel like every... Well, <laughs> Every single sports team in Philadelphia right now is doing awful. Well, it's the weirdest thing, I right? Mean, we've been to a Super Bowl, uh, a World uh, Series. we've been to a Super Bowl, a World Series, an NLCS, and uh, and another playoff appearance in football, and and a playoff appearance in basketball. By the way, to the second round, and we still feel like all hope is lost. We're actually making the playoffs at a at a pretty insane clip, and the Flyers might be the most exciting team in the in the city. And uh, we'll talk about them in an upcoming show. Um, Lots to talk about with them. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about with them. They're f- yeah, I, I'm I'm having a lot of a lot of worries about them. Yeah, a lot. they they yeah. won five against really strong opponents, and then they lost five heading into the break. and And we'll talk more about them once once play picks up. I believe play picks up tomorrow night. I I think they play. Is it the Devils? I'm not quite sure, but I believe they play tomorrow night. And then uh, so on Monday we'll have a lot of Flyers hockey to break down along with some more Phillies and Eagles discussion. But unfortunately, that's just about going to do it for this opening uh, opening show for the semester of Backlash. I, of course, am your host, Mitchell Smedley. That is Josh Toot. Josh, thank you so much for, thank you for, uh, for being me. here with us and for being here each Monday at 4, just like you will be out there. I know you will be uh, because you hate some of these sports players and, and coaches and everyone else just as much as I do, even though you love them. That's the weird thing, right? It's yeah. a love-hate relationship. It's, it should be the city of brotherly love-hate relationships. You, I think is what you we can, should rename the city. You complain about them, but you still love them at the end of the day. Exactly. It's like go, relatives. It's like real family, else. right? <laughs> you complain, but you invite them over for Thanksgiving anyway. So, <laughs> anyways, that is just uh, that is going to do it. But stick around. Two hours of sports talk coming up. Heavy hitters. But for Josh Toot, I am Mitchell Smedley saying so long, and we'll see you back here next week. Have a good one, guys.